Good evening, everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed last week's field report from Nightlands Festival. And we're back this week with Mike Scandato. How's it going, Mike? What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? Uh, it's going well. Welcome to the Necromaniacs podcast, the best horror podcast in the world. Um, it's going good. Rainy Monday night here in Brooklyn. Kind of hot, but not too hot. Uh, had a good weekend. We, we chatted a bit about our weekends before we uh, got started, right? Yeah, man. I am moved into my new residence up here in jersey city and uh congrats and unfortunately yeah. you and I, I did not get a chance because of the unpacking process mm. to um to to catch up with you guys at the record fair um yeah stella and uh stella and i were, were djing and she was also uh you know she had like her her merch set up at uh the jersey city record riot which was a lot of fun i uh i maintained not spending every penny i had i only bought a few records so that was good i bought um some surprises michael i bought the first two eurythmics records oh, on Rhyme okay because those are great fucking records and i bought uh alan parsons project eye in the sky so those were my purchases how about that you know i like that song actually that, that's kind of a creepy song if you listen to the lyrics you know yes a lot of people have said that yes a lot of people have said that but to me, it is one of the greatest like pop songs ever. I feel like like I just love the song, and like my dad was a big fan of the song, and it's it's a very like singular song in that there's no other song that sounds like that song. You notice that? I agree with you, man, and and I back it. I back it, that yeah. purchase of that. Alan Parsons. I back it. Exactly. Except uh, back in the O's, there was this country group as an aside that literally stole all of the music from that song and put it to their song. But that's, uh, I guess, neither here nor there. They even were went to court over it, actually. Scumbags. Uh, Scumbags. Yes. Yeah, the song is called Need You Now. Hold on. I got by uh, Lady Antebellum, the, the, the pop country group who went on to change their name to just Lady A, Michael. Yeah, because yes. like, doesn't Antebellum have something to do with like some kind of slavery type? Thing? Yes, <laughs> they, they they caught a bunch of heat for that. And um, yeah, back in the day, listeners, uh, they had a song in 2009 called "Need You Now." And if you listen to that song and you listen to "Eye in the Sky" by Alan Parsons, you're like, "Yeah, we've got a problem here." So, a little uh, little lawsuit happened, and I believe uh, Mr. Parsons got some loot. So uh, yeah. Little pop music aside, that's uh that's yeah definitely like a sketchy name, you know. And I'm glad they yes, yes. changed that around. But it's I have to say though, the "Need You Now" song is a it's a good song. But what makes it a good song is the music of "Eye in the Sky." It's literally the same. Yeah, well, I mean, I could take like uh you know like uh, "Borderline" by Madonna and put my own lyrics over it. And <laughs> yeah, like, there you oh, go. That's it's a good a song. song. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Exactly. Holy shit, I wrote this great song. It sounds very familiar. But uh, yeah, had a good time at the Jersey City Record Riot. Got a little flashbacks because I used to work just blocks away from there at Now or Never Records back in the early O's when Jersey City was a different place. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm right up the hill from there, man. Like over on awesome. the Heights, as they call it these days. Oh, very cool. Very cool. But uh yeah, um, had fun, you know, DJing. We're going to be doing it again 
in a couple of weeks um, at this bar, Dramadary, in Brooklyn. If any of the listeners want to come on down to Dramadary on uh, Friday, July 23rd, we'll be DJing again. So, yeah. Well, well now that I live, uh, you know, basically in the metropolitan area, uh, mm-hmm. it would be way easier for me to chill with you guys and check these things out. Yeah, definitely, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, I, I wanted to chat with you all, meaning the listeners, about uh, a heap of Blu-rays I bought. I, I, I don't think I bought Blu-rays for a good chunk of time in the past year for some reason or other. But uh, Mondo Macabro, the, the wonderful you know horror indie company that pretty much specializes in, in obscure Euro and Latin American horror, I got a bunch of stuff from them. And I will... Uh, you know, read off the list. I got uh, Hunting Ground, uh, which is from 1983. Uh, a movie called The Killer of Dolls, uh, a giallo from 1974. Uh, then I got some new releases they put out. Uh, the Broken Mirror, um, which looks really cool. It's like another kind of giallo film uh, from, I believe, 1975. And I got Night of the Executioner which is a Spanish film from 1992. Uh, and lastly, uh, a movie I think we should cover at some point. Okay. Uh, the lovely Emmanuel in America. Oh, yeah, man. Other than Joe D'Amato from 1977. Uh, this is a, a, a Laura Gemser uh, Emmanuel. You know, there are two Emmanuels, if you know your Emmanuel. Um, yeah, excited to watch this one. I haven't seen this one in a while. Uh, it is bonkers. Uh, listeners may know uh, who have seen this one. I'm not going to get too into it. I'm going to save it for the episode. But this movie, uh, one of the most notorious exploitation movies ever made, quote unquote. So, yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this one for a while, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It uh, it goes there, as the kids say, Emmanuel in America. So, yeah. What's up with you, Mike? Well, I caught uh, the boogeyman. Um the, the new oh. film it was uh you know it was my birthday last week and uh my, wait a minute yeah it was your birthday last yep. week yeah. yep how did i miss that well, i don't really share that information with too many people ah uh, uh, happy birthday i'm a terrible friend happy no, thank birthday. you the only reason i mention it is because of the context of the film um mm. you know and my my new lady uh who actually is someone who i've known for a while uh t- mm-hmm. took me out for a steak dinner and we went to go oh, see that. very nice we went to go see that movie Awesome. Okay, I've heard it's not good. Is it good or bad? There are things about it I liked. Mm-hmm. Overall, I give it a neutral rating, though. You know what I mean? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's good. It's kind of in the good for mainstream horror category. Would you say? Yeah. Like I wouldn't. I would definitely not rate it in like you know something cool like Baskin or something like that. You right, know what I mean? right. Like, okay. You gotcha. know, like it's not in that realm or like or you know or like a Benson and Moorhead film or something like that. But right. no. It's it's not it's not cruising. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah but if it's like Yeah, but if it's like a night out, you know, and so you know, you want to go and just chill, you know, eat popcorn and like watch a movie, this is the one that you know, it's it's good for that, you know what I mean? And I and I had like a rare delicacy, um maybe not rare to rare for me. Popcorn mm. with M and M's in it. Wow! Look at that fancy schmancy. Yeah, it was my, <laughs> it was my birthday, you know, so I enjoyed. Hey, man, you gotta do what you gotta do. But Mike, happy birthday, man! Thank you. Happy birthday. Yeah. 
Mine, uh, mine is in a, about a month. I'll be the big five zero. Mike, how about Dude, that? I remember turning fifty. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. But, uh, but yeah, that it was. Um, I, I would recommend checking it out. It, there were things about it I thought were cool. Uh, the original Stephen King story was great, but. Hmm. But yeah, it was like yeah. uh, you know they, they took some licenses with it, but it was it was uh, you know it was fair. You know what I mean? Uh, I have a question for you. Okay. Because we haven't chatted. How was your show in Baltimore? Outstanding. I I was very dubious about doing that show because we were going on uh, at midnight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> After Cannibal Corpse played. Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. But, dude, I got to be honest with you, man. There was a three hundred capacity room. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was at capacity, but it was pretty damn full when we played. It was, I would say, oh, between excellent. 250 and 300 people there. Um, it was like, I didn't, I wasn't really, you know, I was told all this information by our merch guy that it was like, yeah, man, like about, while well, the band before us was playing, you know, the merch line formed, sold a ton of shit, you know, mm. hung out with some people, took pictures with a bunch of dudes after our set, you know. And women, oh, and, great. guys and ladies too, which, you know, it's important that Tombs is a band that women enjoy listening to as well. Nice. Yes. Just, yes, not, indeed. Not just, not just boys fun, Mike, like seven second set. It's yes, a, exactly. It's not just a, a sausage fest at our shows, which, you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was good, man. It was, it was awesome. It was fun, man. And, and also during, you know, it was great to see a lot of great bands too, you know, Cannibal, um, Mm. You know, Dying Fetus played, and those guys are. I, this is the second time I've seen Dying Fetus in like about six weeks, so that was cool. You know, so Cannibal finishes on one stage, and there's like a, a few moments, and then you guys are on. Or yeah, well, there's the band that was playing before us. We're playing during Cannibal Corpse's set. <laughs> Ooh, that's that's way worse than oh, going yeah. on after Cannibal Corpse. And way then, worse. Yeah. So then there was like a little bit of a like Cannibal was done, and we hadn't started playing yet. So there was like a, that band before us were wrapping their setup. And then there was like a, um, like a stagger, you know, of time. Mm. And then people just started filing in, man. And I was like really stoked about that because there was another set also going on at the same time that we were going on in a different, Oh stage, God, you know, Jeez Louise. and I, I was like, I mean, you know me, man, I, I don't, I, I'm always surprised when anyone, anyone cares, you know? <laughs> so it's like, no, but it was sick. It was that people, you know, were singing along. It was, and I'm like, oh shit, man, I better not forget the lyrics to these songs, you know. And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Inhuman has a show July 15th, and uh, I'm hoping I don't forget some of the words because there's a bunch of songs we're doing that we haven't done in quite a while. So I hear you. Yeah, man. Um, but uh, that's great, man. Awesome. No, it was, it was great, you know. And then yeah, it was just a good time, you know, and like uh, fun day, you know. Baltimore is, uh, you know, Baltimore. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. Up know, and down. Yeah. Ups and downs, yes. You got to watch your step in that city for sure. Mm, but, indeed. Uh, yeah, and then uh, and that was, that was a couple of weeks ago. I was looking forward to getting back out and doing more stuff soon. You know, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully we'll have some news to announce soon, and um, and that'll be – but until then, we're back in the lab working on new, new music for our next album. Very cool. On uh, on my music front, like I said, Inhumans playing a, a free all-ages show in Brooklyn, New York at Gold Sounds on July 15th. And on June 23rd, Friday, June 23rd, the Confusion Discography is uh, 
officially released on all digital platforms and on CD from Days Records. Got some bad news today about the vinyl. The vinyl oh, no. will be delayed. Delay, delay, delay. Yes. But not by a ton of time, probably by like a month. So, you that's know. Not, that's not bad. When when it comes, it comes. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, it'll probably be like late July. Uh, knock on wood. Um, it's okay. Builds the anticipation for the vinyl. But the yeah, the CDs are kind of in circulation now. Um, came out great. Looks great. And I'm very happy with it. And uh, yeah, man, you know. And uh, perhaps we will uh, have some more Confusion news to announce later on in the summer. Yes. And anyone who uh, missed yesterday's episode of Everything Went Black, go back and listen to it. That's <laughs> right. We talk about this. Uh, we go yes. into detail with all this stuff, man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactamundo. And I thank you for that, Michael. Thank oh, you very my much. My pleasure. And since we're talking about other podcasts, let's mention The Horseman. That's yes, it is time to unleash The Horseman. That's right. Uh, who do we got on Monday, Mike? Monday, we got Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666, which is our partner in the horror world we cover that's right we talk about movies brandon does interviews and together we present a powerful front when it comes to covering horror horror in general i agree uh i need to catch that interview with the guy from fright rags that he did the yeah. owner of fright rags uh that sounds very cool i would love to hear how that company started and and that you know the whole nine about that so Looking forward to checking that one out. I think it came out last week. Yeah, that guy sounds really cool, man. He's a, I, I caught that one. He sounds like a pretty nice dude. Yeah, he's a, a upstate guy. Or at least I believe the company's upstate. Uh, on Tuesday, into the Necrosphere, Mike Hill. That's literally, besides from the Heavy Hole podcast, which I check in on that one every now and then, uh, mm -hmm. Into the Necrosphere is my go-to. I look forward to every Tuesday. Uh, to listening to Jackie mm. pre present the goods, man, about like what's happened in the extreme metal world, and and he focuses mostly on black metal, which is like my favorite genre of extreme music, really. So yeah, and and the other week he played a band where Eric Cartman from South Park was the singer <laughs> of a black metal band, and I was like, how, I can't believe this, Eric Cartman. How did they get him on vocals? I couldn't believe it. It was it was amazing. That's, um, that's magic, man. Definitely. I, that is pretty magic. I have to say, some bands, okay, like when the record is done or the song is done and you're in the studio, right, and say your singer is, well, not good. You mean to tell me the rest of the band thinks that's good? You know what I'm saying, Mike? I don't like, know, man. Maybe, maybe he owns a van or something like that. You know, like that's sometimes that's how it goes. That. That's that's how I think Michael Anthony joined Van Halen. I think he had like a car or something. You know? Hey, no Michael Anthony bashing. Um, but like, I've thought about that. I've been like, some vocals are a barrier for the enjoyment of the music that is being presented. You know. And oh. that was, and he he played a band. I will not name them. I will not throw them under a bus. But he played a band the other week, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like, you know, these vocals are terrible. It's just I was astounded. <laughs> but uh, yeah, into the necrosphere every Tuesday on Wednesday. Who do we got on Wednesday? We got we got everything went black, which is um, you know, my uh, my attempt at doing a, a long running 
podcast and I got a bunch of different you, stuff. Uh, you succeeded in that attempt. It's it long running. It's definitely podcast. long running. It's definitely long it's running. It's long running. <laughs> long running weekly podcast. And this past episode uh, um, had featured you. This past episode featured you and, and gave us uh, the lowdown on the confusion record. So that's cool. That's right. Um, if you need an extra day of me and Mike, you got it. You'll get it. Yeah. Um, on Thursday, well, you're listening to it right now, the Necromaniacs podcast, the greatest horror podcast in the world. Uh, on Friday, we have none other than my brother, Mr. John Draper, and Break the Apocalypse podcast. That announcement's coming soon about changes to the show, Mike. Uh, there's going to be some changes, big changes to that podcast. So check out Break the Apocalypse to, uh, you know, hear about those changes, Mike. There's a new sheriff in town, as they say. <laughs> mm, might be a new sheriff in town, yeah. Uh, and on Sunday, the Lord's Day, we have none other than the Soul Knox podcast. Right, Mike? Absolutely. And that's uh, Carl Hikara bringing that to you. And um, I've been tuning in uh, on the reg, and it's uh, you know really interesting, especially if you're into the occult, uh, darkness in general. Um and in some cases, we do a trade-off on uh, a show called Darkness Weaves, mm. where we talk about Carl Edward Wagner and his incredible weird fiction. Awesome, man. Killing it. The horsemen are killing it, Mike. Wouldn't you say? I would say we got a pretty good strong, you know, stranglehold on the podcasting world, for sure. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so... I like to buy different drinks at the grocery store, Michael. That's one of my little things I do. Okay. Okay. And I bought Snapple, a Snapple iced tea, uh, this new flavor called honey sweet tea. And it is disgusting, Michael. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm struggling to finish it. I, I want to finish it just because not good. Honey sweet tea. Don't like it. It's gross. It sounds pretty um, bad actually, you know, <laughs> They put they went a little too overboard on the honey aspect of the sweet tea from Snapple. So yeah, I don't know. Unless somebody out there bought this and, and loved it. Uh I do not love it. I will not be buying it again. No. Not good. So it doesn't get the Necromaniac seal of approval because the uh... No, it, it gets it gets like a one from Necromaniac. It gets a Necromaniac's like one. Yeah. Okay. That's that's kind of what we're getting here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, it gets a one because it's a Snapple product, and I, and I enjoy Snapple. I enjoy them. So, uh, yeah, swing and a miss, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, listeners, tonight we're going back to the 80s, right, Mike? Yes, before we do that, though, we, we got our voicemails. We got to do those. Oh, shit. Yeah. So That's we, right. We got the necro. Uh, we got a couple. Yeah. yeah we got the necro phone out there, and that is 908-913-0782. That's 908 0782 and you can call and leave a voicemail and make recommendations uh for movies or just uh shoot the shit with us you know what i mean and you know tell us uh what you're into and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff so far we haven't had any negative uh, hate mail or anything like that which is nice no although maybe now we will um <laughs> nobody's called up and said you guys suck you know your movies suck and blah 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 <laughs> my buddy's horror podcast is better you know, we haven't had any of that, so that's good. Um, but, uh, yes, please give us a call. Leave a voicemail message. We listen to them. We enjoy them. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun little extra part of the show. So, first up, we got Emilio from uh, Pennsylvania. 
Hey guys, this is Emilio from Pennsylvania. I'm heading home and I was thinking or trying to remember if you have ever talked about uh, Mexican horror. And if you have not, I will suggest Kronos, probably you already know it, from Guillermo del Toro. And also there's another movie called Poison for the Fairies in Spanish is Veneno para las hadas. That's a good one. So if you want to give it a look, uh, and uh, I, I can bet that you already have gone through Kronos, and if not, uh, I think you should. It's a great movie. I will think on uh, a couple more of uh, Mexican horror movies, some of the old ones about with Dracula, with Germán uh, Robles. But uh, I will suggest those two. And stay safe, guys. I know that the it's a foggy race, uh, and it's not good. So stay healthy. Okay? Take care. Bye-bye. So Emilio asked us about uh, Mexican horror. And, mm -hmm. um I have seen Kronos, the Del Toro film, and I know that you and I have both seen much of uh, his work. However, Kronos yeah. is an actual Mexican production, and it's a great movie. Yeah, that's his like first real deal full-length film. Um, I know you've seen it. I've actually never seen it, so it, it is going to go towards the top of the pile for us. Uh, so, yeah, thank yeah. you for that recommendation. Poison of the Fairies, I heard of that but I have not seen that yet. And that, that's another film I was interested in checking out for sure. I like that title. The title alone will make me want to check it out. Um, you know, Mondo Macabro, I mean, geez, a, a good percentage of their output is like from either Spain or, 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 you know, elsewhere in Latin America. I mean, there's, there's a definitely a lot out there, even stuff from the seventies. We, we talked before we got going about doing a uh, Alucadra, which I'm actually very surprised we haven't done. Yep. So, yeah, we, we will get on that, sir. Also, a recent Mexican film is uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid by the one and only Issa Lopez. Um, and that's, yeah, uh, that's I want to see that. very powerful movie. Um, mm. She's doing the new season of True Detective, apparently. Oh, wow. Which I'm, okay. I'm interested so, in that. Interested. That's coming uh, November, December, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, there's a film called Belzebuth which uh, I quite enjoyed. That's a Mexican movie. And uh, and then you and I covered Atraz, which was an awful film. But uh, Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, hey, there's a fan, there's fans out there somewhere that uh, that DVD you can't get anymore. So somebody bought that shit. Let, let me revise um, that. It's it. We didn't like it. And I, and I think that you and I both arrived at the same conclusion that we're not fans of extreme horror. No, not, not like that. No, uh, not anymore. I think I was. I was. Yeah. You know? Um, but every once in a while there is something that comes along that's like, okay, this is this is still pretty good as I'm as I'm my head is turned away from most of the scene. But yeah, you know, um it's just look, different strokes for different folks, you know. And then we got uh Patrick from New Haven, a return caller. Yes. Hey, what's up boys? Patrick uh from the New Haven area here again. I just started listening to uh, the uh, Consecration episode, and you guys were uh, talking about how nobody, nobody called last week, so or this week. So uh, I'm uh, I'm calling. I don't know. I got home from work a little while ago. I'm uh, pulling some weeds in the garden. Uh, 
and uh, sweating my ass off after working all day doing drywall and other shit like that. Um, hey, have you heard a movie? Uh, have you seen a movie called, the, uh, I think it's called A Perfect Enemy or The Perfect Enemy? 2020, 2021, I believe. It's like a psychological thriller. It's like a, mostly takes place in a in an airport that was designed by the main uh, main character who's an architect. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. For some reason it popped into my head recently. And uh guys said you got the feels over uh uh the caller who uh you know was uh, uh talking about the necro family and all that and uh I don't know, it's got me thinking I should probably check out those those podcasts a little more myself. I've kinda of dabbled in a couple of them but you know, I listen to all kinds of podcasts. <clears throat> um yeah, I don't know. That was really about it. Didn't want you guys to feel lonely or anything. Um, oh, I uh, I just picked up a uh, an electronic drum set recently. I don't know, a couple months ago, used one from some guy. Pretty decent kit. Uh, I don't. I've never played drums before. I, you know, I kind of dabbled in music. Sang in a band, uh, you know, when I was younger. Played guitar, kind of recorded my own stuff here and there. Um, but uh, man, I should have done this years ago. It's fucking love it. I'm already looking at like upgrading it and you know, kind of keeping my eye out for a newer kit when I, you know, uh, when I feel like I deserve it. But uh, I don't know. Just wanted to throw that out there. I know you guys are in the music biz. Um, Speaking of, uh, uh, I bought a Tunes album a while back, and it was really good. So there you go. Anyway, uh, take care, guys. I'll, I'll talk to you later. So once again, thanks, Patrick. Uh, you know, I appreciate you. You know, we one week we didn't have any any voicemails, and you stepped up. And yeah, definitely, Dead Man's Shoes. That's an excellent British. Uh, I like to call them movies about hard cunts. It's like using that British term, you know, like that that Brit, you know, like just right, hard. right, like yeah. okay. You ever notice when Americans say it, it like it's like really bad, yeah. But when the Brits say it, it's like it's it's like oh, it's like he said uh, the word uh, puppy or something, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, like you when, know? when Brits and like Australians use that word, it's it's pretty cool, like it works. Yeah, but like it sounds like uh, domestic violence, like like when we say it, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like it's such a harsh. <laughs> It's like, we like you say that word to a woman, good luck. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Good luck out there. Yeah, right? it's like we committed a crime by saying that word. You know what I mean? Oh my goodness. It's such a difference. Yes. Big difference. But I, I recommend Dead Man's Shoes as as a possible necro uh, movie. It's a brutal revenge movie. And um Okay, that sounds like it's up my alley. Definitely a great film. Um Perfect Enemy I have not heard about. I haven't I haven't even heard of that movie, but it sounds cool. Mm. And uh, kudos on the uh, electronic drum set, man. I never really played around one of those things, and um, it's uh, I've always wondered about that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, listeners, as I stated earlier, tonight we are going back to the '80s, and we're going back to one of our our favorite little subgenres of film, uh, what we like to call the American giallo film, and. Uh, we're doing a movie we've probably mentioned in passing quite a bit, but never actually covered. 
And that is Brian De Palma's 1984 classic body double. Mike Hill, you stoked? Oh yeah, I I um saw this at a very young age when I was like you know like <laughs> fourteen years old or something like that. And I remember this yes, checking this too out young. on VHS and just being blown away by how like you know how dirty the movie was. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, this came out. I was eleven. I think I saw it when I was about twelve. Yeah. <laughs> and. It was. It's funny because I didn't get the movie within the movie, and I didn't get like there's some things I just didn't get at the time. And I actually, being young, remember being younger and not getting the ending initially, um, which we'll get to, like how it wraps up, you know. But like, it's just such a cool movie, and it is. It is definitely, definitely, and uh, factually inspired by you know. Alfred Hitchcock, one hundred percent, right? I would say Hitchcock and like uh, like a Sergio Martino kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Like like kind of yeah, like, yeah, like, like a giallo, like a giallo mm -hmm. with a Hitchcockian vibe to it. And we know we've already established that the Palma, intentionally or unintentionally, dressed to kill is a mm -hmm. American giallo, and this film falls within that same realm. I think. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I just think that it's it's coincidental, like. Okay, Tenebrae comes out in 1982 in Europe, but no one in America sees Dario Argento's Tenebrae until 1987, okay? And it's called Unsane, and it's missing like fucking 15 minutes or whatever. There are moments in this movie where it's like, oh my God, that's very Tenebrae. Like, even the way uh, the girl is dressed that he's following, the dress she has on, and like the scenes on the phone, and the fo like, it's like, holy shit, this looks fucking like Tenebrae. But he hadn't even seen Tenebrae because no one in America had seen it. And it's just like, I just feel like everyone that, that made Giallo films is really just kind of mining the same inspirations, you know? And things are just more coincidental than ripoffs. We know Argento loved Hitchcock, you know? And we know Brian De Palma loved Hitchcock. Um I do think there's a decent chance that De Palma saw perhaps Argento's first three films because they did get theatrical uh, showings and they did well in America. Uh, Bird with Crystal Plumage, Cat and Nine Tails, and uh, oh my God, help me out, Michael. I'm a, I'm a bad Argento fan right now. But these movies were screened in America, you know? Oh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Yeah. Um, the most popular one being uh, the, the first one. Uh, what do you call it? Bird with Crystal Plumage. Um, but I do think that the Palma kind of also has his own thing going on when it comes to these kind of movies too, you know? His own style. Uh, Body Double is a year after Scarface, which is kind of weird. Um, Scarface is this star-studded, huge epic that that did quite well and body double a year later in 1984 seems like a small film mike what do you think well let me say one thing about scarface though scarface if if you didn't know any of the actors in it mm -hmm. would, would seem like an exploitation film yes you know what i mean like even like the yeah. way even the 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 title credits mm. uh, all that stuff it's like that could be a it could be a grindhouse movie it kind of, it, you know what? It's interesting. I completely agree. I've never actually heard anyone say this, but I'm agreeing with you. 
it has a vibe. It has a very dark, exploitative vibe for what was essentially a mainstream Hollywood movie I mean, uh, with a huge star in it and with people who went on to be big stars and people who were stars like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I like I was like, I was like, oh, wow, this is only a year later. Like he he worked really fast in the early 80s. Uh, De Palma, if you look at his his output, he actually kind of churned out movies real fast. Um, if you kind of start with like sisters in the 70s, you know, and then like you get to Phantom of the Paradise and Carrie and Dress to Kill, Blowout, Scarface, Body Double. They're all almost like back to back, you know, and that's fucking impressive, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely the guy was like, like killing it, really. You know, those are all bangers, those movies. Yeah, people forget about him. It's like everybody, you know, look, he's not a horror guy. So I feel like maybe some of the horror people don't realize just how many bangers he had almost kind of comparable to like Carpenter's back to back bangers, right? Exactly. You know, and, and the thing is about this film in particular, this and Dress to Kill, because of the Giallo connection, that's why we're talking about this movie. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there is a horror connection. Yeah. And there is a, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, and also, but it's like, it's interesting because it's like, um, you could say that it's like a new, a neo noir, like, um, like one of these, like, it could be like an erotic thriller. Yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. But if you look at those two terminologies and you push them together, that equals Giallo. Oh, 100%. I mean, this movie has all of, like, the traits. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, look, it may not have a, a razor killer or black or black gloves, so to speak, but it has a, a lot of the other things, like voyeurism and obsession and violence and past trauma. Like, it's got shit tons of giallo in it, quote-unquote, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, and then it's got great performances too you know this is a really really well acted film in my opinion you know and melanie griffith wow like this is like one of the one of the first things she does and it's like this she's like completely naked full-blown sex scene like wow i mean she she's fucking amazing in this movie you know she must have been like 22 years old in this movie yeah let's see how old she was that's that's let's see in 84 she was she was like 25, 26. Okay. 25. Yeah. She looks she looks young as hell though. Yeah. She you know, she's got hell. like the cool like you know, platinum blonde like 80s like you know, hairspray like look and everything like super new wave looking, you know. And I got to tell you, the Palma, Palma definitely did his porn kind of research with this movie, I feel like. I feel like he did his homework when it came to like that world what did you did you get that vibe well, too but also doing some research like he was very much keyed into the porn world even the international mm. por porn world too you know mm -hmm. but let, let's run through the cast because i think the casting for this is interesting as well as the people who made it into the movie as well as the people mm -hmm. who didn't make it into the movie yes and right off the bat i want to say craig wasson who's jake scully the star of the film I always my, have referred to him in the last 20 years as young Bill Maher. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, looked, he looks exactly he looks like, like him. Bill Maher, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, a lot to me. I don't know. Viewers, you may not think so. Some may think so. He looks like, I feel like I'm watching a young Bill Maher in Body Double. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty wild. 
But yeah, Craig Wasson is the star as Jake Scully. We have uh, Greg Henry as Sam Bouchard. Uh, Melanie Griffith as Holly Body, as we mentioned. Here's something very interesting that I only learned not long ago. Deborah Shelton, beautiful actress, plays Gloria Ravel, the brunette, okay? That's not her voice. Yeah, that's right. Brian De Palma, folks, didn't like her voice when the movie was done and as they're editing the movie. So he got actress Helen Shaver to do a voiceover of her voice. So you have, uh, again, Brian De Palma has made quite a few films already. He's a pretty big director. And he, he's got fucking dubbing in this movie. Which Wait, makes honestly, it... <laughs> it makes it even more it's like done very well yeah and it right? makes it even more like an italian film too with the dark, mm, you know? right yeah right <laughs> uh but deborah shelton i'm sorry she's like a ringer for that, that character in tenebrae uh the the, the cheating uh wife no uh i agree to me. Yep. yeah uh we have guy boyd as detective jim mclean uh one of my dad's favorite actors of all time dennis france <laughs> oh yeah as ruben the director scene stealer love dennis france uh, David Haskell as Will, Al Israel as sleazy porn guy Corso. Uh, and that's that's pretty much the well, main cast. There's a cameo too by Barbara Crampton. Yes, Mike. I forgot that she was in this movie. Yep. Um, horror royalty, uh, the very lovely Barbara Crampton is in the very beginning of this film. And spoiler alert: the movie's 40 years old. We're going to be talking about the movie. Uh, she appears nude at the very beginning of the film, Barbara Crampton. I forgot she was in the movie. Yeah. It was a nice nice surprise. And she still looks exactly the same. Yeah, she literally <laughs> does. It's like Barbara Crampton must – she's like Elizabeth Bathory or something. You know what I mean? It's like she's ageless. She's a vampire, I think. Um, he's got some real-life porn stars in there, too, mixed in from the day. Annette Haven, who was very popular in the early 80s. And there is a cameo from Stephen Bauer himself, who was in Scar uh, Scarface the year before, uh, another great character actor, who was Melanie Griffith's husband at the time. He has a cameo as a male porn actor. But perhaps one of the greatest, well, cameos in the movie is the band uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Wouldn't you agree? That's like the trippiest part of the movie. And like, like similar to you, when I was a kid, I had no idea what was going on. The song no, Relax was big. MTV hit though at the time. Oh yeah, it was a huge song and it's just the way it's used is like perfect, you know? Um and we'll we'll get into it because it's kind of like mid mid movie or whatever, but it's just it just kind of makes the movie and it, to me it's one of like it's a very like euro giallo moment in a way for me, right? Yeah, no, that's what makes the movie even even more sort of entrenched in that in that whole style you know and the, totally the role of holly was originally um de palma approached linda hamilton to play her yes that's yeah. right can you imagine and then wow jamie lee curtis was also considered um carrie fisher persistent yeah writer. he and he also wanted annette haven the actual porn star to play the role but she was rejected by the studio because she was an actual porn star which i guess in 83 84 makes you know makes some sense um as i mentioned emmanuel earlier uh de palma even wanted sylvia crystal who was one of the one of two emmanuels laura gemser being the other 
to play this role, which would have been really wild, but she was unavailable. Wow. Pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it's a it's an interesting film, like all the behind the scenes stuff with this movie too, you know, as well as the movie itself being, you know, very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just wild. Like it must have just been such a fucking great time to be making movies in Hollywood in like 1984. Uh, this movie began shooting in February, uh, February 21st, 1984, completely shot in L.A., I mean, man, the stories, right? God. So when the, when the movie opens up, we find uh, Jake Scully. Um, he's in a low budget vampire film, and uh, mm -hmm. and here is this is a it's a big setup for the film that gives us an insight into uh, the psychology of uh, Mr. Yeah. Scully. You know, so mm -hmm. he's got claustrophobia, and he freezes up in a key scene where he's inside a coffin, and mm -hmm. he gets basically uh laid off from his role as a vampire in this movie okay yeah because of it i mean we learn that it is because again of childhood trauma but he doesn't tell uh dennis franz the director that's the reason he's kind of like i don't know what happened i don't know why that happened like you know what i'm saying like he's not you know yeah being completely honest uh and he goes he heads home and on his way home he catches the <laughs> our lovely friend uh, in bed with another man. But Mike, did you notice you don't see the, okay, you don't see the other man. No, I, I, I was, I noticed that for the first time this past time I watched it, you know what I mean? Cause like mm -hmm. remembering the film, I didn't really think about that. But after that scene was over, I'm like, you get a really very good shot of Barbara Crampton. Yeah. <laughs> completely naked, you know, but then mm -hmm. you're like, what about the guy? But they, it, they just, that's such an interesting film technique that they did. You know, had not the guy was almost like it didn't even matter who it was. You know what I mean? It was about their her infidelity in their relationship. You know. However, when the movie was all when it was all over, though, I thought was was it uh, Sam? Uh, I thought perhaps, but uh, oh, as, okay. to make it more like to, to to drive it really home. You know what I'm saying? Right. But uh, we'll get to that. Uh, something we did not mention. Yeah. Um, it was released October 26, 1984. Clocks in at 114 minutes. The budget was $10 million, which was no small chunk of change in 1984. However, it was not a box office success. Um, it didn't do very well. And it, it, it actually took a bunch of years for this movie to be seen in the light it's seen in now. Uh, it's actually considered a classic by quite a few people. Um, but yeah, just, just wanted to, to add that in there for now. Also, we find out that Jake is uh, struggling with alcoholism too, because uh, after after he walks in on his uh, his girlfriend, um, you know, having sex with another man, mm -hmm. he heads straight to the bar. Yes, and um, starts drinking, and the bartender's like, "Hey, I thought you gave up drinking, you know?" And he's like, "Yes, right, right, yeah." It's another little subtle thing there, and he does like three shots in a row, you yeah. know. Yeah, he just wants um, to get fucking drunk, man, to deal with his his issues there, you know. I like Jack Daniels. I actually had some Jack Daniels over the weekend, but I didn't have three shots in a row of Jack Daniels. So yeah, I never touch <laughs> hard liquor, man. I just can't. I can't drink hard liquor. <laughs> um, you know, poor guy, right? So he he's in an acting class, right? And he th this acting teacher. This is you know post the bar scene and post the uh, you know incident with the wife. 
Um, and that acting teacher is kind of being a real jerk to him as he's kind of, you know, I guess getting closer and closer as to why he freezes up right in front of the class. Yeah. He's push, he pushing, revealed, him really he's pushing him really yeah, hard. He pushes him really hard and he reveals to the class what in fact happened to him as a child where he was playing a game, like a game of, of called sardine, which is kind of like a game of tag or whatever, where he had to stay still and, and not get found by his friends. But what happened was he was kind of trapped behind a, a refrigerator where he was hiding and he couldn't move and he was afraid no one was ever going to find him and it just fucked with his head as a young kid, right? Yeah, and he carried that into his adult life and you know created this uh, claustrophobic condition that he has. Exactly. And again, very, very Italian. I'm sorry. Very Italian uh, to me. Although, again, comes really by way more of Hitchcock. But, you know, I feel like uh, a lot of our viewers who, who may not have seen Body Double or people who appreciate the Jalo films will, will see all these kind of parallels, right? Yeah, the first the first thing is definitely Hitchcock, you know, because even the way the film is shot has like a very like the color Hitchcock films, like the film, the, the cinematography and all that sort of stuff. And then if you're familiar with Italian horror, you'll you'll key into the giallo elements of the movie, I think. Mm, exactly. Um, so this guy who's in the class with him is kind of yelling at the teacher and saying, that, you know, it kind of comes to Scully's rescue. Right. And pulls him out of there. And, and uh, again, they don't really know each other that well. They've seen each other throughout the day on different acting, uh, you know, interviews, right? Yeah. Yeah, he just but, happens to always be around. <laughs> exactly, right, right. Like, they go on all these, you know, casting calls, and, you know, he's like a, a struggling actor, Scully. Um, And then he reveals to him that, you know, uh, what happened with his wife, and that he doesn't have a place to stay, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so the guy uh, offers, you know, offers him a place to say, right? Yeah, he and he gives him, you know, this this rundown of this like pretty crazy rich guy pad up in the hills, and mm. then he also indicates to him that well, it's not even the the coolest thing about this place. And then mm -mm. coincidentally, he's like points him in the direction of his favorite neighbor, <laughs> this beautiful young lady who erotically dances. Apparently on a nightly basis. Yes, every night at like eight o'clock, whatever. Her name is Gloria Ravel. She lives kind of across the way from this gorgeous home in the in the L.A. hills or whatever, where they have to take like a like a tram to get to. Right? It's like it's like high up in the mountain and all that shit. And of course, it's like total nineteen eighty four, you know, eighties style. But it's got like a lot of plants in it. And he he tells Scully that you know you could stay here. Uh, as long as you water the plants and this whole thing. and uh, But I got a question. So who, whose house was that? Like, we don't even know, right? You know, like, that, that's, I was going to say the same exact thing. It's never really uh, indicated who owns that that house. I mean, at, when we wrap up, I'll, I'll get to who I probably think owned it. He might have owned two homes, let's just say. But okay, yeah, okay. possibly. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, there's a couple of things left unanswered, which, which again, make it kind of cool. Like, we don't see the man who sleeps with the wife. It's just kind of like this blacked out, you know, figure or whatever. But, um, so yeah, Scully, Scully is enjoying watching this, this gorgeous brunette, you know, dance suggestively every night, just about naked, right? And again, 
very Italian to me, very giallo. Um, Hitchcock certainly never had that in any of his films. No, I mean, you know, no, definitely right? not. Definitely not. And, and you, you kind of get a viewport into his psychology. You know, you, you think, you know, it's the woman who he was with. It was her place. So he has to go out. He's out on the street. You know, he's sleeping on the floor or couches or whatever. He's in this like swanky, weird UFO looking you know, mm -hmm. crazy apartment house or whatever. And drinking, you know, he's like drinking. And now yeah, he's you like, add all this up, right? Right. Yeah, it all adds up. He's like kind of like you know in, in a in a lonely place, as they say, you know. And watching this woman dance at night, you know, and I'm sure he has fragile, you know, psychology because of just the loss of his like you know longtime girlfriend and all this other stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. I'd be pretty upset losing Barbara Crampton. I gotta be. I gotta be honest. Oh, dude, you know? it would devastate me if I was able. If that was like my lady, and like I walked in on that, I would be like, I would be, I would be completely heartbroken by that. And that's like the twenty-something Barbara Crampton. Yeah. I, I'd be upset losing the sixty-something Barbara Crampton, and oh, the, the, the current Barbara Crampton. I'd be very upset losing. Yes, me too. Exactly. Um, she is a vampire, folks. I think Barbara Crampton is a vampire, Mike. I don't know. I tend to agree with could you. Be. Could be. Could be. Um, so one night, uh, while he's he's watching again, I think I think perhaps the second night or whatever, you know, after after another day of you know going shopping or whatever, um, sees her again, but he notices there's this this like hulking figure also watching, right? Like off to the side, he's like working on like. He's got like a blowtorch or something like he's he, he he's kind of like in the line of sight. Right. Like this, this guy with long hair and a really fucked up face. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, uh, I don't know, doing some kind of utility work or something like on the cables outside of the house yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that but, was weird. That's a very interesting scene. Like the Palma knows how to shoot a fucking movie, man, like visually, like he just definitely captured like 80s L.A. and like. Just really nice, beautiful shots in this movie, right? And a lot of this surreal stuff that goes on in the movie is, once again, really connects me with like a Giallo film, like a Sergio Martino film or like a Dario mm. Argento type film. Like there's like a certain surreal quality to the way everything happens in this film. Exactly. Um, he sees her, he sees a guy kind of come into the play uh, of the room where she's, you know, gets all crazy and naked. And he like abuses her and you know he doesn't know who it is he can't really see who it is so the very next day he decides to follow her right yes. as, as she's going about her day stalks her really <laughs> he kind of stalks her and yeah a, a lot of tenebrae moments in this whole scene because it's a long scene they go to a bunch of places and it, it it goes a few different places but also in tow is the what are they calling the indian uh <laughs> guy because he he he, he, he uh, appears to have like tanner skin and he's got like very long hair and you know kind of a big dude right yes and uh in his uh tailing of her she goes to a lingerie store and uh mm -hmm. purchases some sexy underwear which she discards and uh right. scully sketchily wanders <laughs> want, lurks over to the to the garbage receptacle where she ditches her underwear and he puts it in his pocket yeah, so it's a very long, prolonged scene of kind of this, you know, cat and mouse moment until finally Scully approaches her 
and says, hey, someone is following you. And she looks at him and is like, I know. And he's, he's like, no, not me. And then kind of like a moment later, the Indian just starts running at top speed and grabs her purse, right? Yeah. And that's when and then, the, the, the chase ensues where Scully, mm-hmm. you know, run, is pursuing the Indian, quote unquote, into this mm-hmm. uh, tunnel. And this is where yes, his... the, the uh, irreversible tunnel, I called it oh, as man, I was watching. Yeah. <laughs> irreversible it, it looked like the irreversible tunnel, maybe a little wider, but it, yeah. it reminded me of irreversible, actually. And, and I, I wonder if Gaspar No enjoys this film. I bet you a million dollars he does like this movie. Um, and, uh, you know, he starts chasing. It's, it's a very intense chase scene where they're literally both actors are running at top speed because they look exhausted. Uh, and then, of course, as he's in the tunnel, he gets that horrible claustrophobic feeling, and he's up against the wall. And um, the, the Indian, quote unquote, dumps out all the contents of the purse about you know twenty, thirty feet away from him, and takes what looks like a credit card and like starts yelling and runs away. And then finally, the 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 girl catches up. Who, again, more running. Uh, catches up to him and he explains to her that you know he, he he took a credit card or something or a card but she's not really too concerned with that right um they just kind of like gather their belongings and she kind of helps them out of the tunnel gloria right yeah and they have their moment together yes finally where they make out <laughs> yeah and, and that's like you know i mean you got to think in the mental state of this guy he lost his you know beautiful girlfriend he's like not centered you know, he thinks he's fine. He's with this woman who he's been watching, you know, dance mm-hmm. and pleasure herself, uh, you know, across the way yeah. from him. And, you know, she's beautiful and he's kissing her and touching her and all this sort of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, he's like in this unhinged sort of state as a result of that, I feel, you know, maybe not unhinged, but, you know, very fragile, you know, very volatile sort of state. Exactly. So so they, they make out a bit, whatever, and then they, they kind of almost go a bit further, but she kind of breaks away, right? Yeah. And um, as it turns out, listeners, the, the Indians stole the key card, which gets him into uh, Gloria's home, unfortunately. So that very next night, um, you know, Scully is back at the telescope. And he sees that the Indian is now inside the home, right? Yes. And then his tragic flaw is rather than call the police, he mm-hmm. decides to, uh, you know, try to take it, take matters in his own hands and, and foil this attack. Exactly. But uh, this time the Indian has brought a very large power tool with him. <laughs> and and you know once again that really? that that that's a very giallo sort of like you know italian, yeah, italian yeah. horror kind of thing you know like it makes it that and this kind of makes it more in the realm of like a horror film you know what i mean with this big right drilled, right like murder you know yeah in the early 80s there, there were some some rock thrillers happening there was body heat which was i think a year before this and then you have this being body double so but but I think this was the only one to add this real kind of like gritty grindhouse horror element to it, you know? I agree. Which sets it apart, you know? And then a few le- years later, you have like nine and a half weeks. And, you know, this 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 movie, again, it makes it more uh, fair for our podcast, right? And, of course, there's the uh, the Michael Douglas uh, frame of, um, of erotic thrillers, too, with Basic Instinct. 
Yes, in the '90s, Basic Instinct is definitely among the the the, the list of of key American jalos, which perhaps one day we'll cover that as well. Yeah. But this movie is like a precursor to that. You could argue like that whole Frankie Goes to Hollywood scene is it, like the Michael Douglas Sharon Tate uh, Sharon Tate Sharon Stone dance club scene is is in that wheelhouse. I feel like no. <laughs> That scene is the, <laughs> Michael Douglas. That's your favorite scene. He's yes. wearing like the worst sweater I've ever seen anyone wear. Like, he's got like that, like I don't know, like a like a beige V-neck sweater with no T-shirt on underneath it at a dance club. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> love, love it. Again, another. You know, uh, while I was not really into anything more than beyond american horror movies in 92 later in the 90s i remember revisiting in that and going okay i think i see what's going on here you know like sure. after i'd watched a bunch of jello films i went i see a bit of a connection in this movie um but yeah uh unfortunately our our, our lovely gloria ravel uh, falls prey to the indian in a very brutal way which actually made this movie come under fire uh quite a bit with the censors and some women's rights groups, Mike. I could see that. You know, it's like she's being penetrated by this phallic, you know, thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it's like a little bit on the nose if you're going to look for stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, as an aside, folks, if you know your American Psycho, you know that Patrick Bateman's favorite movie is Body Double. So there's that. <laughs> uh, he, he mentions in the book that he saw it 37 times. Um, and of course, you can see why. <laughs> Um, again, I feel like it, it, it's it's all part of this little wheelhouse, right? This '80s kind of sexy but horror wheelhouse uh, that that you know we enjoy here at the Necromaniacs podcast. Um, so the cops come, and you know they're they're questioning Scully, and of course they see the pair of panties sticking out of his pocket. <laughs> yeah. and they call him a pervert and this and Detec whatever. Detective and they, Detective McLean is like pretty pretty excellent character you know <laughs> yes so they, they kind of have him as suspicious but that almost makes for any cop to think that he was the killer i think you, you'd be a very bad cop obviously he was not the killer like yeah. i mean jesus christ you know i just think he was kind of pressuring him you know I, I don't think mclean actually thought he was a killer i think that he was just disgusted by the fact that he was like he thought he mm -hmm. was more just this kind of pervert you know um of note, folks, there's a white German shepherd that lives with Gloria who, who attacks Scully. Uh, however, we learn that a little later that the German shepherd did not attack the Indian. Correct? Yes, that's correct, and that's significant in the development of this movie. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, the police rule the murder as a botched robbery. That's, that's some great detective work. A girl who gets drilled to death is a botched robbery. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, later that night, Scully's you know back at the at the beautiful, luxurious home across the way. Can't sleep, and there's a porn channel on, which I'm sure there certainly was in the early '80s in LA. And he sees an actress that really catches his eye: the beautiful Holly Body, played by the young Melanie Griffith. And she's doing literally the same exact dance Gloria did every night, right, Michael? Yes, and and the, I want to note the gigantic remote that he has. <laughs> of course, the remote is like it looks like the it's like a lunchbox or something. This remote it's the size of a car. Yeah, yeah, that he's using to flick through the channels. And Scully drinking heavily, 
you know it's like he's just in that in that space man you know what i mean you you and i you've been there before i've been there where you're just fucking bummed out you're just mm. middle of the night you can't sleep you're flipping through the channels and he finds uh <laughs> finds this thing. man they got rid of the porn channel in brooklyn imagine can you imagine <laughs> if they had that <laughs> yeah um they never had that but you know back in the day there was, you know, late night Cinemax or whatever, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. If you're home, uh, if you were uh, a lad of a certain age in the 80s and 90s and your parents had Cinemax, you probably had some fun, right, Michael? Do you remember, though, there was a channel that was, like, scrambled or something? I think, what was it called, like, the Spice Network or something like that? Well, no, there was WHT, which was yet another channel that had, like, porn late at night, but you could kind of catch it on, on a scrambled network. And then there was the Spice Channel, which was literally a part of almost anybody's cable vision or whatever package if they wanted it. And of course, a lot of dads wanted it. So like, I remember I'd be at a friend's house in the 90s and then we flick through a channel and it's like, oh shit, dad has Spice. And it's like, it's because you're, you know, whoever's paying for the cable added, paid for that to be added on. It's but the, scram the scrambled one though, that would come in sort of. But it would be. Yeah, that, would, uh, I believe that was on what was called WHT, which was which was its own kind of freestanding cable thing. And you could um, kind I, of see it, like you could kind of see what was going on, but it was like you couldn't quite make it out. You know what I mean? Yes. Hold on, WHT. <laughs> That's so weird. Let's see. WHT. Yeah, it was a uh, it was New York City pay television service. Um, it stood for Wamco home theater um it was yeah it was it, it kicked off in 77 and right. ended in 85 it was a box it was its own box that you actually had and there was a way to kind of show like scrambled porn they uh it, yeah whd this is for the people of the northeast who listen to the show from 77 <laughs> to 85 and yeah friends of mine's dads had that shit 100 percent that's crazy. Man. It's so funny that that, the, that archaic stuff that doesn't now it just on your phone you can see all this stuff. Crazy. Yeah, it was kind of like a, it was a competitor of, of you know HBO and Cinemax and Showtime. You know, yeah, that's what it was. Um, so back to Body Double Kids. Uh, he decides he has to meet this Holly body. So what he does, he goes into the porn underworld and pretends that he is a producer, right, Mike? Well, the funny thing before that is he goes to Hollywood. I'm not talking about Hollywood. He goes to Tower Records mm -hmm. to find Holly Body's movies. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and there's like that scene where it's like that very nostalgic scene where you're in Tower Records, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like yeah, he, he just straight up like walks over to the, to the front counter and he's like, "Do you have like you know Holly does Hollywood or whatever?" And the guy's like, "It's like yeah." It's in the adult section. Follow mm. him. And he takes him over. And he's like, he's like, oh, do you have it on VHS? He's like, VHS, Betamax, you know, <laughs> whatever. Like all these formats that don't exist anymore. Yeah, stuff. that's true. That's true. <laughs> so he does his due diligence. Um, and then, uh, you know, as an actor himself, it's like, it's kind of like this mishmash of the, the straight acting world and the porn acting world, right? Like what he's kind of going through. Right. Because he eventually goes to try out to be in a porn which he he immediately gets the part <laughs> that, that's that's when I, once again like the on like the that's just the far out 
far-fetched nature of this thing it just makes this surreal quality to it which i think is awesome you know it's like he gets the part and he's kind of like about to undress in front of the porn producer the porn director whatever guy and then before you know the next scene is he's got his hair different he's got glasses and he's got on like nerdier clothes and he's being led by the singer of uh, frankie goes to, to hollywood down these steps <laughs> into this orgy room while they're while it's basically like a like a music vi- like a dirty music video for the song relax it's pretty pretty great scene actually the, the writing is pretty brilliant of this movie if you think about it really mm. very creative you know no definitely and he <laughs> of course he, he meets holly and he actually gets to have sex with her pretty much right then and there but uh, you know without spoiling too much <laughs> He doesn't do what male porn stars are supposed to do, folks. He, like, he does something else. He, he, yeah. ma- he makes love to her. <laughs> yeah, I'll put he it that makes way. love to her, right. Yeah. And they're missing a key component of the porn scene. Isn't that nice how I just wrapped that up in a, in a nice, neat way, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't have to go into what was missing, but I think you guys, right. I think you, got, you all get the idea of what we're talking about. Exactly. So he kind of, after that, kind of just, you know, goes on pretending he's just this Mr. Porn guy, right? And he gets a Holly back to the to the you know the fun house and yada yada, and he reveals to her, you know what's really going on, and he brings up the whole Gloria dancing and the murder, and she gets all freaked out because she's like, "What killing? Like I don't know anything about that, right?" Yeah. Um, and she, I, I mean, does she cop to being hired? I believe she does, right, at the very least. Yeah, yeah, because there's a scene where she gets, uh, he, she gets, uh, uh, well, the guy, you know, which name should we use for him? Uh, Sam Bouchard. Mm-hmm. She gets him on the phone. Or he yes. Gets, he, gets, he gets Sam on the phone. He's like, here, is this the guy that hired you? And she's like, yeah, that's him. Yes, yes. Um, so she's all mad at Scully for thinking he, she's in, involved in a murder. And she kind of like, you know, storms out of the house. But she is momentarily picked up by the Indian who knocks her unconscious and drives away with her in a truck. Unfortunately, uh, Scully pursues and, and they get to like this reservoir where, where, you know, the Indian is digging a grave and, you know, a fight ensues. Right. Um, and of course, it is revealed, spoiler alert, that the Indian is, of course, uh, who we all kind of thought it was, Mr. Sam Bouchard himself, right? Yeah, and and he's the mastermind of this elaborate, uh, you know, setup basically. And that woman was his his wife, uh, the the woman dancing, yeah. obviously. Uh, and he wanted to kill his wife, but he wanted an alibi that was airtight, which is why he conducted this whole thing about his friend being away to watch the house and blah blah blah, and he's away, right? But as I said earlier, I'm just going to guess that he owned both houses. No, that that makes sense. You know, perhaps. Perhaps. Why why not? Like this, this whole plot is very. Like I said, it's um, it's completely far fetched, but awesome. You know, that is a really interesting scene where he 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 gets Scully in the grave, and, and and Scully's having one of those full blown attacks. But while he's having an attack. He also has like a vision, right? Yes. Like of kind of like overcoming his fear, right? And you kind of see him uh, again with Dennis France, right? And this was what tripped me up as a young man. Did that trip you up a little as a young man? Maybe when I was a kid. 
you know, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But now, you know, after seeing this, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. It's definitely like, all right, this is like a, an internal thing that was going on to help him overcome his fear. You know, this right. Like, this he he kind of decides enough is enough after this whole kind of aside, which is a very interesting aside, uh, listeners, as you watch it. Um, and he knocks him into the aqueduct uh, with the dog. Which is very sad. The dog ends up dying. Yeah. Uh, which which always bumps me out. Right? The dog, dog didn't do anything to anybody, and the dog has to, you know, just because the owner's a scumbag. The dog has to, uh, you know. Exactly. And the reason the dog didn't bark, it's because he knew exactly who it was. It was his uh, his dog dad, his shitty dog dad. That's, That's right. why he didn't bark. Yeah. Right. Um, which is, you know, he only barked at Scully. However, apparently he didn't like dad too much because he, you know, he saved Scully eventually. Right. Yeah. Um, so they go into the water and they die. Uh, then there's a great end credit scene where Scully has been rehired by Dennis France and he's back playing the vampire and they're shooting that scene. And it's just this really cool fucking ending where they're, they're kind of showing you how a movie is made. And, uh, I guess, you know, Holly body is now his girlfriend because she's now watching the scene, you know, in the background with all the other people. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, his vampire character basically it's like a billy idol in the in the yes 19th, he looks in, like billy idol yeah. in the rebel yell era of billy idol if he was a vampire that's what he looks like and man this is just a a lot of fun this movie you know i mean yeah it has its sleazy moments and it's violence but you know there's one there's one killing in this movie i mean is it that violent this movie i mean really there's one murder you know uh, I think Dress to Kill is way more explicit than this movie, Mike. It's way, Dress to Kill is way more brutal, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot more brutality. This movie, has yeah. a, this movie has a, a different kind of rep for some reason and did not do anywhere near as well as Dress to Kill initially. Initially. Um, apparently, uh, De Palma came up with the concept of doing this film after interviewing the, the, the body doubles for Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill. Uh, I started thinking about the whole idea of the body double. What would it be like? And what if I wanted to make sure to get somebody's attention, to have them looking at a certain place at a certain time? So he was kind of building that uh, in his head. And with the success of Dress the Kill and the movie Body Heat, he wanted to make another kind of, you know, erotic thriller. Um, and, uh, you know, apparently he wanted to make this movie more violent. But, the, you know, again, there's problems with the censors and whatnot. But his main inspirations for this movie were apparently Rear Window and Vertigo, the Alfred Hitchcock's classics. That makes sense, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. But again, I while that is definitely present, there is this entire, for me, and I think for probably anybody who enjoys Jalo films, this European flair in this movie, uh, on many levels uh, that we discussed earlier. And I just feel like it's just so bizarre that like the, the commonalities this has with certain classic GL films. Yeah, no, it's 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 a hundred percent that, you know, and, and uh like the surreal nature of it, the the kind of um unreal the yeah, the surrealism for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, there are certain elements that are unexplained, you know what I mean? Like the uh right. who owns the house, like we're talking about that. The fact that the man that scully's girlfriend is having sex with is, is unidentified you know there's things like mm. that that really harken back to it 
I like that Jake Scully and Holly Body are a couple at the end of the movie. I like. I yes. like that. I like, I like it. it too, man. It's yeah. awesome. Good for good for young Bill Maher. All yeah. right. Yeah, I like I like that they're together at the end. <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert loved this movie. He gave it three and a half stars out of four. An exhilarating exercise in pure filmmaking, a thriller in the Hitchcock tradition in which there's no particular point except that the hero is flawed, weak, and in terrible danger, uh, and we identify with him completely. And yes, I completely agree with that. He is likable. He is relatable, right? Yeah. And he's very human and very kind of like every man, no? Yeah, you know, and, and I, like, I was con- like I was commenting on earlier is that you know, he's in like a like a space in his life where just shit is going wrong for him, you know, and that's what makes mm. him super relatable. I mean, all of everyone listening to this has gone through moments in their life where it's just like, just you feel like things can't get any worse, you know? Um, Washington Post gave it a, a positive review back then too. Um, lewd, gory, twisty, turny murder mystery swirling around Hollywood's porn industry. Um, and that body double is about the dark longings deep inside all of us. Again, just like I said, it's like, I, I feel like almost any guy we know could have been in the situation that Scully was in and might've acted the same to a degree. Maybe not any guy, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he comes across very like this kind of guy off the street vibe. And what makes it really interesting is that honestly, I, I feel like the, the actor like, this is his movie, Craig Watson. Like, I don't know what his other movies are. You know, I, I was going to say that. Like, he really is a good actor, but I, I've never seen him in anything else. Well, after this, he was in the Tales from the Dark Side film. He has a role in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dr. Neil Gordon. Um, And he's got, you know, smaller roles. He has a small role in Malcolm X and... He, he uh, some TV stuff, Dr. Quinn, Madison Woman, Murder, She Wrote, a uh, bunch of Star Trek stuff, family, you know, TV stuff. Which Star Trek? Uh, he's he just, you know, a working actor literally from the 70s to about 2006, working actor. He was in, he was in Star Trek? Uh, he was in, what did it say, Star Trek? Like which... He's in Deep Space Nine, an episode of Star Trek, Deep Space, uh, Deep Space Nine. Um... But he actually apparently has done a bunch of narrating for books. Uh, he did Stephen King's 2011 novel, 112263. That's him on the audiobook. How about that? Oh. And he's done audiobooks for James Elroy and John Grisham. Okay. Uh, he was on One Life to Live in 1991. Uh, again, a lot of TV stuff. Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, yeah, MASH. Murder, She Wrote. So, working actor. Uh He'd be a great, uh, a, a great dude at Chiller. I wonder if he's done Chiller hmm. or Horicon. That, that seems, yeah, I, I can imagine him being in there. I just, uh, you know, I, I only know him from this, really. I mean, I, I'm sure I've seen him in those other things, but I just, he's, he doesn't stick out my my mind as being in any. Okay, of he has a pretty decent role in Nightmare Three, apparently. Uh, that the doctor role, Neil Gordon. Um, my Nightmare on Elm Street, besides Part One, listeners is literally non-existent. So that's why there might be some people yelling at you and me, going, how do you not know he's a Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Because Freddy is not my guy um, beyond part one. Gotta be honest. I dug the first three Nightmare on Elm Streets, and then I fell off after that. I need to literally watch two 
up to New Nightmare. I remember liking New Nightmare back in the day, like mid '90s. But like, it's just one of those franchises that has not really grabbed me, except for the first movie, which is amazing. Um, Mike, what do you give Body Double oh, on I our scale one to five? I give it a four point five. I give Body Double a five. You How do? about that? I love this movie. Yeah, I, I almost, this movie. I almost gave it a five. I almost gave it a five, but I was like, yeah, four point five is good. It is. No, it, it's it's a must-see, listeners. Uh, I know, I'm sure, a bunch of you have seen it. Uh, maybe some of the younger listeners have not seen it who are into the Jalo stuff. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it is definitely on pretty much, you know, there's a bunch of really good American Jalo lists out there. It's on all of them. So if that's any indication, uh, you should see this movie, then see this movie. Um it's funny. <laughs> One of the ones I came across was the controversial entry of Friday the 13th in the top 10 American Jalos. Don't agree with that, as no. I've said before, Mike. We don't agree with it. I don't. I agree. I'm not on board with that at all. And um, yeah, I think uh, if you want to have a really fun-filled evening of really cool movies, I would say, and you want to focus on Brian De Palma, I would. I would watch Body Double, Dress to Kill, and Scarface in a triple. Oh, yeah. Triple bill. Dude, Scarface is a movie that, like The Godfather and Casino and Heat and Goodfellas, is if I come across it and it's on, well, I'm going to finish it every time. <laughs> I love it. Like, I love Scarface. Yeah, Great me, movie. Me too. And, and like I said, you know, when I – I remember at some point a long time ago, I remember watching this thing, and I was like, when the opening credits start up, it's in, like, this really garish, like, red, like the letters – it, mm. it, it made me think of like I'm like this is a grindhouse movie, man. And there's a guy getting cut up with a chainsaw in a bathroom. There's like the end, you know, yeah. the violence, like people getting gunned down. Like there's all this like you know the overblown character, you know, acting, all that kind of stuff. It's like such a a grindhouse movie, in my opinion. It is. I love the music. Uh, the Pino Donaggio, gotta say, awesome uh, score. In in uh, body double, of course, he's done. You know, he did carry, he did uh, dress to kill, tons of great stuff. Pino Donaggio, who is still with us, by the way. Uh, nice. Great, uh, great film scorer. Um, yeah, man, great fun movie. Great time, like you know, rewatching it. Um, I love the ending, man. Cool, cool ending. Yeah, so there you have it, man. Check this out if you haven't seen it, and. Uh... If you haven't seen it, well, most people have seen Scarface, and I know we covered Dress to Kill not too long ago, and uh, this is like, that's like a very good triumvirate of uh, Brian De Palma films. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Um, and I think uh, maybe later this summer we're, we're due for, you know, uh, another Italian giallo or, sure. or a more kind of like a lesser known one. I like doing those, you yeah, know. We'll go, go into the vault, definitely. Exactly, go into the vaults. We hope you enjoyed this trip back to 1984, listeners. And uh, thank you all so much for the continued support of Necromaniacs. Right, Mike? Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening and tuning in every week. And uh, keep those calls coming. We love it. And we're compiling a list, and we're going to be working through some of these suggestions. We already have. We started <laughs> covering some of the things that you guys have been bringing up that we might have missed. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's all good. And we will see you next time. Take care, everybody. All right, guys, take care. My high, 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 high